I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm your host once again, Mo Stewart, and I'm joined this week by James Martin, and I'm very, very pleased to say Andrew Beasley. Andrew, we finally made it on the show together. I'm so pleased. Yeah, I don't know why it's taken so long, to be honest. I should have been on months ago, surely. I mean, if it was up to me, definitely you would have. But to be honest, you picked a great one to go on because... It's a difficult time to really talk and assess Liverpool at the moment. I mean, we've been so consistently inconsistent. It's hard to really find any trends that run through the roller coaster. But I have managed to spot one little thing that's kind of piqued my interest. And I'm sure the rest of you probably haven't failed to notice it as well. The bigger the game, the better the team, the better Liverpool seem to be playing at the moment. I mean, the results kind of... Again, how have we turned into this team that only plays well against the big teams and doesn't seem to be able to be up for it at any other time? Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It doesn't feel like a a Liverpool sort of thing. Certainly from the last few seasons, they've been very good at at beating the lesser teams in the Premier League and they seem to have um, obviously lost that um, losing against Leeds and Notts Forest in the last couple of weeks is, is sort of evidence of that. Um, I mean, in terms of it, I think there's not too many issues going forward. I think they're still creating chances in those games, but they're just so open at the back. They're just so easy to um, to cut through. And teams of any standard are showing that they're they're able to do that. And I think, you know, in, in a game like Manchester City, uh, we saw Liverpool play fairly defensively and, th- and they were able to play well defensively in that game. But obviously, they take more chances against the smaller teams, rightly so, because they're games they should be winning. But because the defensive sort of foundation isn't there like it once was, it means they're being they're being caught on the break quite often. And these teams are having far too many chances against them, far more than they would have done in the past. That does seem to be a fair point, actually, doesn't it, James? Because if you look again at the stats, like if we look again at the Leeds game, and, you know, I'm reluctant to do it at best of times, but... We obviously had a lot more shots than they did, a lot more shots on target than they did, most of the ball. I mean, a lot was made of the fact that they ran, I think it was 11 kilometres more. But to that, I would say, number one, their leads, that's what they do. And and number two, when you haven't got the ball, you're doing a lot more running. So Andrew's right to say that a lot of the attacking processes seem to be working. It's just, yeah, those big chances are being put behind us. And we're really lucky to have a goalkeeper as great as Allison at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you look at where the sort of rebuilding as as we go along processes have worked well in the transfer market, a lot of that sort of focuses on the attack. I mean, of course, we've been unlucky losing Luis Diaz and Diego Jota to injury this season, but then there's also Darwin Nunez. So we, we've kind of already refreshed that as we go along. And, and that part has been, you know, relatively seamless. And then it, it's further back where you're, you're looking at maybe all of these issues slowly catching up to the squad. You know, you talk about the aging team, talk about a tired team, all valid factors. Um, 
and then there's the element of teams maybe figuring us out a little bit as well, working out how to play against us. We heard Carlo Ancelotti talk about that after the Champions League final. So, yeah, it it really is hard to put your finger on one thing that's going wrong. But, but yeah, that, that kind of combination, that perfect storm. Um, and, yeah, there's only... There's only so many chances Allison can keep out, but yeah, I think we'd be we'd be in a far worse predicament without him, particularly over the last over the last few games. Really, I mean, at the start of the season, some people were chucking him in the mix as as big players who were suddenly performing at a lower standard, but he, he's he's very much back to his best. It's just unfortunate that the people in front of him haven't quite caught up yet. Yeah, I mean, I think statistically you can look at it and say he's actually having his best ever season for Liverpool now. But you're right, early on, I think particularly a couple of the goals against Fulham were kind of laid at his door. But I mean, I don't think anyone was blaming him for the first goal against Leeds. Sorry, everyone, we had to talk about that again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a shame that, that his stability hasn't been able to be threaded throughout the squad. But James is right, Andrew. There is a lot of different reasons it's another perfect storm we seem to have a lot of them in and around Liverpool strangely enough but there are different elements about this whole idea of only showing up against the big teams and James touched a little bit on one of them there which is the tactics obviously against Manchester City they're going to be trying to attack us and therefore there might be more spaces in behind to attack once we have built this defensive structure whereas We've seen the words low block rear their ugly head once again in the football discourse. And this is something that's come up periodically over time under Jürgen. And he seems to have been able to solve it in previous times. Do you think, we've already spoken about the attack not necessarily being the worst, but do you think that that is having an effect, particularly like you say, where we're having all of the ball, we're not really able to get through, and then from there teams are countering on us? Yeah, we're um, we're not able to press teams as well as we used to. You know, they're happy for Liverpool to have the ball and with the higher possession and all these sorts of things. They're not able to to create chances in the way they were. I think we're also having to um, obviously accommodate Darwin Nunes and his style of play. And um, you would think he might be good against these low block teams because when Liverpool used to sort of succeed with with their crossing tactics in the past, it was for players running into like an empty penalty box. And he's shown he can he can score goals in a crowded penalty box. Um, his winning goal against West Ham, for instance. Liverpool never used to score that sort of goal. And I think he can he can bring that to the team in these um, games against the, the low block teams, the bus parkers, whatever you want to call them. Um, perhaps just hasn't been able to do it enough yet. I think that will come. But it's just, yeah, perhaps trying to, to mould the attack around him is, was always going to be quite difficult. And it's a strength he will bring, but maybe not just hasn't been on a consistent basis yet. No, that's fair. I think we've all seen there have been teething problems in terms of integrating Nunes into the team, James. And understandably, considering how different his profile is to what we had before. But I think most people can agree Week on week, he is looking better and better. And he's got the goals to do it. I'm interested, though, in him being a tactic in terms of um, beating the low block. Because if you think about some of the previous ways you tried to do it, we had someone like Tiago. All of that. Um, the chaos that created by Darwin Nunes. These teams who come with a dif- disciplined defensive idea and structure... Even within that, they won't be able to resist bringing up some chances because he's just so manic that he's going to draw them all over the place. Yeah, it, it's 
it's a great quality to have. He just comes on and he's an absolute sort of cannonball just flying around the pitch. Um, and yeah, we, we talk about maybe a slow start, but then you have to put that in context as, as well and say he started eight games and he scored seven goals. I mean, it's it's been it's been effective for the most part. He's had he's had maybe one or two games you could say that was a quiet game. I suppose the Merseyside derby would be the one that springs to mind where he he started. I think he might even have got a rare full ninety there and, and did very little. But other than that, every time he's been on the pitch, really, he's done something. And you know whether whether the goals have always come. I mean, there, there have been big chances that have that have been missed, but they've usually been followed followed up by big chances that have been scored. And, and that's it's so encouraging because there just wouldn't have been those chances created before. And yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a very different method to the Thiago tactics, which is like you say, you, you find the gaps, you slot through these clever, intricate little passes. But why do that when you can have Nunez just charging at the defenders? Uh, and, and yeah, it's, well, an interesting thing, and I think this sort of links in nicely to what we're talking about on this podcast, is, is how he can almost sort of replicate the the tactical structure of playing against the big team against the smaller teams just because he's so quick like even low block teams he makes it look as though they're leaving space in behind because I mean they're not really but Nunes is so quick he'll, he'll exploit whatever space there is um, and so yeah it, it's it's a very different way of of trying to solve the problem to Tiago but perhaps it's more more repeatable I mean partly because of fitness concerns around Tiago but yeah I mean partly because it allows Liverpool to kind of keep playing their normal way rather than reinventing themselves. It just uh, requires requires a few tweaks, which is maybe what we're, we've seen in the early stages of this season. That's very true. The other thing is as well, Andrew, is it's hard to plan against. I mean, how do you plan against chaos? <laughs> it seems like we're a philosophical question rather than a football question. But we've seen very much in the past that this is a, a copycat league in the Premier League. And if someone's got something that they believe is a weakness, then all teams will think that they can get at it. We saw this in 2021 when Liverpool had their dip and suddenly everyone coming to Anfield thought they could have a holiday and they all pretty much used the same blueprint. So having someone like Nunes, how big is that to be able to counteract that? So we're not seeing team after team turning up at Anfield, not only trying this, but being successful. Yeah, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's that thing of like, well, if he doesn't know what he's going to do, which looks to be the case, then then how do the opposition know what he's going to do? And, and I think there is an element of that with him. I also think as well, it, he's sort of, um, because he's got all these different strengths, it means Liverpool should be able to play in different ways without making any major changes. I mean, in the last couple of years, if Liverpool were struggling, it seemed to be, well, let's let's uh, fetch Divock Origi off the bench and, and he can do something slightly different. But of course... The opposition then know, well, here he comes. So they're probably going to you know, try and get the ball to him in the air, in the box or this sort of thing. And it, and it was very obvious what the shift was going to be. At least now with Nunes, well, they can, he can run in behind and all right, the space isn't there, but he can do that. Or as we've said, he can sort of head chances in the box better than, than forwards they've had in the past. So um, it gives them a bit more variety in play without having to sort of smash glass and, and fetch Divock, uh, which is what they used to do. And, and it was effective. It was very often effective. You know, he scored a winner at Wolves last season and he scored against Everton and things like that. You know, it's not that it didn't work, but obviously it doesn't have to be quite such a pronounced change now. It, it gives them more options without having to, to sort of change the team and make it quite so obvious that they're doing a, making a change. Mm. And also, let's face it, he'll hopefully be a little bit more reliable consistently than Divock. Although I am a big fan of the number 27 shirt. 
just being pure chaos for the rest of Liverpool's history. Whoever comes in and they're crazy, they have to take that shirt. Now, obviously, the attack is very much one thing, but there is another thing tactically that's been causing problems. And we mentioned it. It's the people getting back. It's when Liverpool have had all this ball and all these chances, not created anything, and then being counterattacked on. Now, one thing that we did notice in the game against Napoli, James, I noticed in particular Trent Alexander-Arnold was a lot more restrained in terms of how far forward he was getting. I think the average positions had him in his own half, which is very rare. And he wasn't playing as many what you call risky balls, which were part of his remit and were pretty much allowed under Klopp earlier. But it was almost as in there was a little bit more restraint involved in everywhere, as in he was doing more of his defensive work. His defensive duels, I think, doubled compared to his league average. So... Is there a way that Liverpool can get this balance right when you're playing against the smaller teams? Like, rather than being as gung-ho and having Trent on the edge of the area or pushing everybody forward, maybe having a little bit more of defensive set-off might draw some teams forward onto us and then looking at some space in behind. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, it's... It's a really interesting one because, I mean, how do you force a team to attack against you? It's quite difficult. But, yeah, if, if you drop deeper and, and don't just leave the space for them to keep whacking long balls into, they do kind of have to try and play a bit of football when they get on the ball. It, it's quite counterintuitive. And, and you know, where does it end if both teams are trying to give the other team the ball so they can attack them? It's, it's, it really is a dilemma, but it's interesting to think about. Uh, and, yeah, it's like you say, a lot of that debate does focus on Trent and his role it's tricky because you, you don't want to waste him and you know he's he's a ridiculous creative talent and you know his defensive weaknesses have been massively over exaggerated don't get me wrong but in terms of like as a pure defender he's not the best around he's, he's a good premier league standard but if you're looking for someone to to come in and play that more defensive right back role he, he wouldn't be your first choice i mean everyone I mean, that's what Gareth Southgate is kind of looking for, someone with a bit more of that defensive mindset. And, and that explains, you know, rightly or wrongly, the, the England situation. I mean, I think most Liverpool fans would say Southgate should be building around him. But, you know, when, when you are looking for that kind of profile of player, maybe he's not the first name on the list. So you don't necessarily want to pigeonhole him and just stick him at the back and say, you know, let's calm down. But there is a balance to be struck, on the other hand. I mean, even against Napoli, he was still getting forward on occasion. And, and I suppose the key thing is when he was getting forward, he was making sure he was getting back too. I mean, yes. there was there, there was one moment where I think Canate sort of got caught on the ball and Trent was straight there. He was absolutely sprinting back into position, snuffed out the danger. And yeah, I mean, you can't be asking him to do everything all game. He can't, he can't keep up the attacking output and then double his defensive output. There has to be a balance struck. But equally, there are those moments where he maybe needs to be a little bit quicker to react. And, and mm. I think the start to the season hopefully can be that sort of wake-up call. And we maybe saw the start of that against Napoli with those with those sort of quick quick responses, quick defensive transitions to sort of quickly get back into 
into where he needs to be. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard problem to solve because Liverpool are never going to be a team who'd, who'd sit really deep, and and I don't think we'd really want them to be. But no. but you know that there's there's maybe a halfway house that that Klopp can find. I think so. I mean, when you think about the way that Liverpool often play the ball amongst themselves in the defence, that's all about trying to draw the, the the opponents closer to them to try and get around. So this is maybe just an, a more extreme version of that. We'll have to wait and see. But as I mentioned, there's more than one reason than why Liverpool are struggling against the little teams. Uh, and I think mentality is something that we definitely need to discuss. Now, this has to be taken in the context of where this Liverpool team are and what they've been doing for the best part of five years. They haven't had a real safety net because of the sustained quality of Manchester City. Uh, draws are like defeats. And when you have that over a course of a 38-game season in the league, we've obviously got the Champions League as well. To do it again and again and again at maximum levels of pressure every single time you take the field. Andrew, this is the fifth season of doing that. And eventually the tank surely has to be emptied. And I look at the way that we've had to come back after last season. 63 days after a 63-game season, we were asking them all to do it again. Have they just emptied their tanks? Yeah, quite possibly. I think when you look back in the sort of Premier League era at at Liverpool, um, most times where they finished second, they've then had a big drop-off the following season. It happened in 2002, it happened in 2009, it happened in 2014. Now, in 2019, that didn't happen, spectacularly didn't happen, because they finished second by a point, then they won the Champions League, and then they won the league the next season. And as great as that was, that has that is an exception. That's not the rule, certainly not for Liverpool anyway, certainly not in the last sort of 20 years. So what we're seeing this season is actually the norm. You know, it might not be fun to watch and it isn't, but it is the norm for this football club in the last sort of 20 years. And bearing in mind as well, obviously, in those previous instances, yes, they finished second, but sometimes they were a distant second or, you know, maybe they got sort of points total in the sort of mid-80s. I mean, they're now putting up points totals in the 90s, or they have been, they won't this season, and still not getting over the line. And that's got to be so difficult to take. And, and with the Champions League final as well, I mean, even, you know, the, the sort of stress of, of what happened outside, leave it, even leaving that aside, I mean, the game itself against Real Madrid, I, I can't remember the numbers off my head, top of my head. I think they had over 20 shots. I think Real Madrid had four and they lost 1-0. I mean, that's hard to take as well. And I think all of these things combined, you know, they get labelled as mentality monsters one year and then mentality midgets the next. And I think the latter is certainly unfair when you think of everything that they've sort of had to to cope with. I mean, we're not, it wouldn't take a wildly different world for them to have won the league three times in the last four or five years, two or three Champions Leagues. You know, they're legitimately that close to having done that. And it's great. They've got one league and one Champions League, but it it doesn't really feel like enough reward for the efforts they've put Mm -hmm. in. And, you know, I mean, that affects me mentally. And I'm sure they're stronger. <laughs> and all of us. And I'm sure they're stronger mentally than I am. But um, it, it's got to have taken a toll. And I think it's just one of many factors in, in why they're struggling this season. But it, it's hard not to blame them for, if they're feeling a bit down on their luck after everything they went through last season, to only, in inverted commas, have two domestic cups. It doesn't really feel fair. But sport isn't fair, as we know. No, it's not. And... I mean, I think sometimes we do, even when we're discussing this, we can gloss over that fact 
James, about how unlucky this team really have been and how much it really must um, affect them when you think about how much effort it's taken to get so close. And then the margins have been so fine again and again. And I think Andrew makes a really good point about 18-19 because the way that we reacted to that, we've almost kind of taken for granted that, oh, we'll just steamroll the league again. But there are two very key differences, I think. One, that year we also won the Champions League, which is a very good consolation prize. So everyone still went away in the summer happy. We didn't do that in 2022. And obviously, I think to a certain extent, when you're in the dressing room like that and you you lose a league by one point, you can kind of say to yourself, well, you know what, guys? It's just a freak of football. That's never going to happen again. And then it did happen again. Like, I think when you have the compounded memories of all of those things, and then you have to go back to the start line, the back of a massive mountain that is every football season, and you look at the, you're sitting at the bottom, you look at the top and you just think, have we got it in us to get to that top of that mountain again? You can't, they'd be human if they weren't thinking that. Yeah, and I mean, the frustrating thing is that this has been one of the most open starts to a Premier League season in a long time. Everyone's dropping points. So, you know, had Liverpool been able to sort of rally and go again, they'd be, they'd be right up there now. I mean, to be fair, Arsenal haven't dropped many points, but, you know, you'd think they will over the course of the season. And, and even now, recently, I think Southampton, they, they, they got the draw there, didn't they? So, you know, there's maybe signs that, that, that this kind of rapid start to the season might slow down a bit. City, maybe the other way around, they had a couple of iffy results earlier on and are now looking pretty close to unstoppable again but then Liverpool stopped them and in fact we've somehow beaten them twice in, in this in this horrible season so um yeah it's it's a it's, it's it's the reality of competing against Manchester City over a sustained period I think because that's just what they're going to do that's the reality of the situation with the investment that's gone in there over the years and people sort of can compare net spend over the last four years five years or whatever and try and make a point about that but you have to look back further I mean that the whole, I mean, you look at what was under investigation at, at you know, the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Of course, they were eventually cleared of most of that, but a lot of the stuff was time barred because it happened so long ago. And, you know, whether or not it was in the rules, out of the rules, it doesn't really matter. The point is, there was a huge investment on a, you know, massive scale very early on, and that was in infrastructure. So, you know, not just the players we're talking about, but the, the whole club is, is mm. you know, it's been set up very well. And I mean, they still had to do that right. Lots of clubs have had money and spent it poorly. So, you know, credit where it's due. But the fact is they've built this winning machine and it's just going to be relentless year after year. And any team trying to compete against that with lesser resources is going to it's going to take such a huge mental effort that 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 sort of goes without saying. And to, the fact that Liverpool have taken anything in this era really should be should be celebrated as, as a just a massive achievement. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunate because as fans, we then we we get the taste for it. We think, well, we did it last year. Why can't we do it this year? Yeah. Um, especially when Man City look even vaguely vulnerable, which they haven't even really done this season, but by their own standards, maybe a little bit. So you think, well, ah, why couldn't it have been this season? Why, why couldn't Liverpool have gone again and again and again? But yeah, these are real people. And yeah, physically and mentally, it, it's a draining task. It really is a draining task. And I think the, the evidence of the games, though they have got it right, where they have been able to rouse themselves. I'm torn on this one, Andrew, is the fact that you can still see them in there, that you know that this team still has the ability for this magic, does it make you calmer that they'll get back to it? Or does it make it more frustrating when the other kind of Liverpool, when Hyde 
turns up as opposed to Dr. Jekyll? Um, I think I can see both sides of it, really. I think the frustration certainly comes through during the games themselves. But between the games, I'm sort of relatively calm that they they can get back to their best. But of course, it's the games that we're all interested in. And, and there's certainly a lot of frustration builds up when, when they're struggling to beat or indeed losing to Nottingham Forest and, and Leeds and Fulham and, and teams they really should be really should be beating and they're not performing against. So I, th- I think they can get it back. And, and, and in a lot of these games, you know, they've had the chances to win them. Mm-hmm. As we've said, the, the issue is more in defence and, and how much of that is, is mental and how much is physical. I guess professional players will know a lot more, a lot more about that than I do, which is basically nothing. Um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think the, the, the mental fatigue is, is probably underestimated because people look at Liverpool's midfield full of players in their... 30s or, or near enough in their 30s and think oh well, they just need some younger players but um a bit of a mental reset wouldn't go amiss but it, it's obviously very difficult for them to get that the world cup may provide that obviously we don't know sort of which players are, are going to go at this point and, and how their teams will do i mean jordan henderson might go but he may not play all that often i know fabinho is probably going to be in the brazil squad things like that tiago mysteriously left out by spain you know, he might get a break. Yeah, thumbs up to that. That, that. that could be good for Liverpool. But we're all hoping for this reset and it will provide something of a reset. But obviously, the how our players get on in the World Cup is, is going to have an impact on how they're going to do once the season in England starts up again. But um, yeah, I think it's mental as much as physical. And I think it's it's a hard, hard thing to get to get over. You know, they're, they're used to playing, maybe not a 63-game season, but they're used to playing weekend and midweek throughout most of the season. But to do that and come up short, it's the mental thing, I think, as as much as anything. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. No, you're right. And I would also claim to be no expert in any of this, uh, not being a professional sportsman. But I do listen to a lot of professional sportsmen, James. And there was something that came up on one of LeBron James's episodes of The Shop, which I found very interesting. He was talking to Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. Now, for those who don't know, the Golden State Warriors got to the NBA Finals five years in a row, which is an unprecedented feat in basketball. So they knew about having to go to the well again and again and again. And he said that one of the hardest things wasn't necessarily the big games against the big opponents who you know you're going to be playing when the games matter towards the end of the season. It was, and I'm paraphrasing here, the lesser teams in the lesser cities on the lesser nights. And again, we look at this Liverpool team and how much anticipation there was for the Manchester City game. How many people were fearing the worst that Liverpool were going to go out and maybe be embarrassed in that game and they came up and they showed their best whereas the games where people were just trying to get through them I mean with Nottingham Forest there was a big game against Champions League against Ajax a few days later which was the main focus and so you can see how that game becomes less important in the minds of the players 
How much do you think that that can really affect the players when they're in the game? And one other thing I wanted to mention before you answer, the way that they described it in this interview to get around it was to feeding off the hate. Now, we've seen a little bit of that from Liverpool. There's been a little bit of pushback against some of the greater players. And the, 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 the dressing room has been stunned. So would you say that that's maybe the way forward for Liverpool as well, to kind of feed off the haters? Yeah, I mean, lots to unpack there. Um, it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I think, because, I mean, you, you need your team to have that bit of arrogance, that kind of we're up there with the best teams in the world, even we are the best team in the world. You kind of need the players to have that mindset. If they didn't, then the, the mental challenge of competing with your Man Cities and other teams like that would be even greater. In fact, I'd, I'd go as far as to say it was impossible if you went into it thinking about you know, the financial disparities and all of the things that we as fans like to talk about. If they were playing on the players' minds, it it'd be a non-starter. So they, they do have to have this kind of swagger, this arrogance, and maybe that does make things harder against, you know, like you say, the lesser teams, because you go into it and you think, oh, this will be a walk in the park. And, you know, in one sense, you'd want your players to think that, but on the other hand, it, it can lead to, to problems if they go in thinking they're going to win and they get caught out. I, th- I think Fulham in particular, first game of the season, that, that felt very much in that sort of department, if you like. There, there was... They just didn't look ready for, for what Fulham came with. They thought Fulham newly promoted will, will win. And then Fulham pressed us off the park, which they weren't even playing like like a small team you would expect them to play, really. They, it wasn't purely deep block. Liverpool can't break them down. They were buzzing about. They were causing problems. And, and yeah, Liverpool weren't ready. And, and we've seen maybe instances of that later on in the season. You know, a lot of the other defeats have been Liverpool struggling to break down and then we go back to okay how much is tactical etc etc but yeah I think there is a mental aspect um and yeah in terms of what you say about the potential solution there's definitely something in that and I mean I I feel like this is almost turning into another Darwin Nunez podcast but uh, (laughs) he he seems to have that sort of mindset I mean it's come back to haunt him already because he keeps on doing stupid celebrations (laughs) and then we lose but you know on a personal level, he's he's maybe now harnessing the, the criticism to drive better performances. And we've seen that, as like you said earlier on, he's getting better and better. Uh, and yeah, that kind of desire to prove people wrong uh, and almost re-embracing a, a kind of underdog mentality, that, that's that's certainly one way, one way to go. And, and like you said, sort of drawing on stimulus that maybe isn't even there. I mean, like you said, sort of, there are maybe no shortage of actual haters for Liverpool to find, but uh, like, I mean, another basketball reference, I suppose, in the last dance, you had Michael Jordan, it's much memes now, isn't it? The, and I took that personally. Yeah. Um, even when there was not really much to take personally, but, you know, he has to he has to create that narrative in his mind to, to sort of motivate himself. So, you know, who are we to argue with, with Michael Jordan and LeBron James, Draymond Green? As if, if, if they think it works, then then I assume it works. So, yeah, I mean, maybe not how each of us would, would want to get motivated every day for work, sort of <laughs> trying to prove everyone wrong and uh, <laughs> beat off the haters. But, you know, in an elite sport, it's a, it's a unique environment. And, and clearly that, that is a tactic that works. I mean, if we were trying to fight off the haters, I would recommend no one read the comments under this video <laughs> or any of the videos. But yeah, you're right. It's it's one of those things when you are have that that mindset of uh, being yourself against everybody, and you have to have that motivation to go again day after day, day after day. You'd expect these things to maybe motivate people. I'm not advocating for everybody to shout in the stands, our uh, players, to try and motivate them though. 
that's going too far. Now, uh, let's look at the games we've got coming up, Andrew, particularly the last two league games, because I think the Derby game will be a largely changed side, so it will be different players to a large extent. But Spurs away, very much the big game against the top six rival. Southampton at home, very much the kind of down-tempo game against a team that Liverpool should be expected to win. Based on what we've seen over the last two months, we'd expect Liverpool to play well against Spurs and maybe not as well against Southampton. Is that what you're expecting? And if so, is there a way we can maybe turn it around? Yeah, that is the natural assumption at this point. Liverpool have a very good record against um, Tottenham. I don't think they've lost any of the last 10 meetings. So you would expect them to deliver a good performance. I mean, they didn't play particularly well in, in the corresponding fixture last season, as I recall. But I think they'd it was the worst period of the season for sort of injuries and COVID absences and stuff like this. I, I seem to recall Tyler Morton started and, and things like that, which is nothing against him, a young lad, you know, starting out or whatever, but clearly that, that wasn't ideal. Um, yeah. I mean, you would expect them to, to play well on Sunday. And I think as well, you know, Tottenham themselves aren't playing all that well. Um, although they're, they're getting more results than Liverpool perhaps, but I, I don't think their performances from what I've seen have been, have been all that. Um, I suppose as well with, with with Liverpool, you've got to look at the sort of tactical question of are they going to stick with the 4-3-3 they used against Napoli? Are they going to use the diamond or some variant of 4-4-2, which they'd been doing um, as well lately? It sort of plants a seed of doubt. And it may be that um, mentally that might affect Antonio Conte, if not sort of Tottenham and the, and the fans there and, and things like that, because he doesn't know how Liverpool are going to play, whereas Liverpool can be certain that Tottenham are going to have a a back three and wing backs. I mean, they use it every single game. So um, one mental edge Liverpool might have now, at least, is that their, their formation is not quite as, as set in stone. But um, yeah, yeah. You, you would expect Liverpool to put in a pretty decent performance against Tottenham. And then Southampton is the sort of game that, that has troubled them, as we say. Um, they're not playing all that well. You, you would expect Liverpool to win. But it's that thing of, of taking their chances, which they haven't been doing in sort of similar fixtures so far this season. And, um, you know, I, I also wonder about the sort of mentality of the, of the Anfield crowd. I mean, you know, we've, we've spoken about how Liverpool's failure to, to win the big prizes is, is affecting people. And obviously the, the, the atmosphere for the big games takes care of itself. You know, Manchester City on a, on a Sunday. But, you know, do, is it the same for the other games? And, and inevitably it isn't. But... Um, you know, I think it needs a, it'll need a good effort from everyone at the ground, everybody on the pitch, Jurgen and his guys and 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 everybody to to try and get over the line against Southampton at home, which sounds ridiculous, but that's the way it's uh, that's the way it's been going. I think. Um, yeah, so I didn't get all of that, uh, but yeah. Um, so the last game before the World Cup is is maybe a factor. Yeah, with, with Southampton, you, you'd maybe look at that and think. Okay, we've got a nice break coming up after this. At least most of us do. Let's let's end on a high. That'll give us a chance to sort of go into the break properly, reset like we were referring to earlier, and then yeah, hopefully come back and put together a proper run of form in the new year. Or well, just before the new year comes back on Boxing Day, doesn't it? But um, yeah, that's that that could maybe play a part um, and could maybe make the difference in what has been, as Andrew alluded to, a kind of troubling type of fixture. I mean, Southampton probably have a, a lot of the warning signs that Leeds had in terms of, what you know, they're always guaranteed to work very hard, you know, heart and hood till the, the Alpine Klopp, as is, as is being dubbed. So 
yeah, I mean, what we talked about even with Fulham earlier about how they sort of took Liverpool by surprise with their their pressing or, or what have you. Southampton shouldn't be a surprise in that respect. But then Leeds wasn't a surprise either and, and Liverpool still struggled with it at times. So, yeah, it's, they're the kind of small team that you know will always have the capability of, of causing a few problems. Um, they're that kind of awkward team, you know, they've been on the end of a few 9-0s. So there's, there's a way of beating them and beating them massively. But when they get it all right, they're a danger to even the top sides. I mean, Man City have had some troubles against Southampton in in recent years. So, yeah, it's it's an awkward fixture, maybe not one you, you choose for this this point of the season. Uh, and then just to briefly pick up on what I think you were saying at the end there, Mo, about, about the crowd, uh, and Andrew was saying it as well in his answer. Yeah, I think, I think you're right that, you know, but equally it's kind of, it's kind of self-fulfilling because the more of these type of games we lose, the more nervy the crowd are going to get in them. And so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a vicious cycle. And yeah, maybe the onus is on the crowd to sort of break out of that. And and I think we did see a little bit of that against Napoli. I know it was a big game in some senses, although equally it was kind of a dead rubber. But we had that, that VAR check, didn't we? That long VAR check where Napoli may or may not have gone ahead. It was kind of, you know, Schrodinger's Napoli goal. You know, we may well have gone behind, but that they were still getting, like, massively outsung, the Napoli fans, that is. It was the Liverpool chance you could hear throughout all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was impressed with the crowd in, in that situation. I, I suppose Anfield on European nights is, is another beast altogether. Maybe we need more of that when it's 12.30 on a Saturday and it's, it's very difficult for everyone involved. But, yeah, it's... I don't... I don't think there's you can necessarily blame the fans. I think it's natural, but equally, if there is an extra percent to be gained, maybe it is from the crowd, and that's always something Klopp will be asking for, and that's always something that the crowd should be looking to provide. Yeah, something in the past, and hopefully, this game against Southampton will be no different. Well, I'm going to get out, James. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm off to go and call BT. The rest of you, see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.